right. Well, good morning. Come on now. This room is full of humans. Good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad you're here this morning. What a great day to uh, be here. I especially want to say welcome if you are a guest with us here at New Beginnings. Uh, maybe this morning is the first time you've been here or you visited a, a few times, but uh, you would consider yourself still kind of kicking the tires and visiting. I want to say welcome. Uh, we really are glad. We consider it an honor. I say this every week. I mean it every week. It's a privilege for us that you would come and worship with us here at New Beginnings. So thanks for being here. We're excited uh, to dive into God's Word uh, together this morning. We are wrapping up, moving to the end of a series where we've been called Rediscover, where as a church we have been rediscovering what it means for us to live on mission and what is the unique mission that God has called us to as a church. What has he called us to do? What has he called us to live out. And so we've had this new mission statement, and I love our new statement. I think it emphasizes uh, uh, the everyday life mission uh, that we are to have. And so I'm going to put it up, and just like the last several weeks, I want you to say it with me. So at New Beginnings, here's who we are. We are people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. That's who we are. What does it mean to belong here, to be a disciple here, to live on mission here? It means we want to be people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. And so this morning, I want us to touch on, again, really that last pr uh, uh, phrase and discover the possibilities of what it looks like to be on mission where we live, work, and play. And that's kind of our word this morning, and that is possibilities. And, and, and I wonder if you have ever truly imagined the gospel possibilities that God has placed within reach in your life, right? Possibilities to advance the mission of God that he's placed right in front of you, right where you live, right where you work, right where you play. And I think it's important for us to do this. It's important for us to begin to imagine the scale and the scope of what we call our, our kingdom platform. Because I think for many of us, our view of the mission field around us is small because we can't see the possibilities in our kingdom platform. But listen, God has given every single one of us a kingdom platform that is unique to us. Your kingdom platform is different from mine. Mine is different from yours. But he has given us that kingdom platform to advance his mission in our everyday life. And so we're going to use that word several times today, kingdom platform, that phrase. And so I want to be sure we kind of give it a definition and we know what we're talking about. The kingdom platform, your kingdom platform is the place that God has given a person. He's given you for producing spiritual fruit. Your kingdom platform is the place God has given you for producing spiritual fruit. Will Mancini said it this way, a kingdom platform is a person's place of maximum kingdom impact. I love that. It's a person's place of maximum kingdom impact, right? And every single follower of Jesus has a kingdom platform. You have a place that God has given for the purpose of living out his mission in your life. And I think there's times when we think about living out the mission of God and living on the will of God and, and, and living on that mission in our everyday lives, we make it so complicated, we just make it so complicated, right? We've taken the Great Commission, this, this commission to go and make disciples, and we've built it up and we've turned it into this 
complicated, difficult command that seems so hard and so far out of reach that we've just decided we can't do it, so we punt on it altogether. Am I connecting with anybody? We've made this thing very difficult, and we've, we, we treat finding the will of God and living on the mission of God like trying to find the clues in an escape room. You know what I mean? Have you, anybody ever done an escape room? You ever done one of these? All right, so there's more suckers than me in here. Good. Now, if you don't know what an escape room is, I'm going to tell you what it is because I want to save you from ever doing it. So here's an escape room. Escape room is where you take your money and you give it to somebody so that that somebody can lock you in a room. Now, those of you that are sitting in here going, that can't be what that is, I promise you, I've done it. That's exactly what it is. You take your money, you give your money to somebody so that that somebody will lock you and some friends in a, You better hope they're your friends because y'all going to be in there a while. That's what I'm saying. Hope they're your buddies. Y'all better be real tight, okay? And so you get locked in this room, and the only way you can get out of that room is you begin a process of trying to figure out the most random, nonsensical, difficult clues, but somehow they're connected together and you're going to end up with a number. The number opens the door so you can get out, right? That's, that's an escape room. And I hate those things because usually they involve some sort of like um, Einstein level math or witchcraft, I'm convinced. And the last time I did math for fun, man, it was never. And so we just, right, but we treat the mission of God like that. Like we've got to find the exact right clues at the exact right time to figure out the riddle of what God wants us to do. But listen, the mission of God is not a riddle. God has made it simple. He has made it plain. And it is this. He has planted you in your home, in your job, in your community, so that in those places you would simply live out the new life you have found in him and invite others to come and find life. That's it. That's the mission. To live out the new life you have found in Jesus and to invite others to come and find life. And what we see throughout church history, what we see throughout the New Testament is not this movement being shaped, this gospel movement and the story of the gospel moving forward. We don't see that being shaped primarily by preachers. We see it primarily being moved forward and shaped by regular disciples, everyday disciples who just decided to make the most of where God had put them. I love where we've been reading through the book of Acts because there's some people we meet along in the book of Acts that we don't meet anywhere else and we only see their name maybe once, maybe twice and they're not, dis they're not uh, one of the big 12, most of them aren't, but they, they're just people who leverage the moment, people like Ananias. We meet Ananias in Acts chapter nine and here's how God's word describes Ananias, a disciple in Damascus. That's how God describes him. That's all he is, he's a disciple. And yet God commanded him to go to a guy named Saul. He said, you're going to go to, a, and I want you to minister to him and to love on him and encourage him. And so Ananias goes through the power of the Holy Spirit. He heals Saul's sight. He leads him to the Lord. He baptizes him. He encourages um, him in his calling to ministry. Here's what's amazing. Ananias wasn't a pastor. He wasn't even an apostle. He was just a disciple that said yes to what God told him 
to do and the miracle God did through him and the encouragement that he gave to Paul through him, Ananias had no idea that he was ministering to the man that would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But that's what happened in that moment. I think of uh, Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Lydia in Acts chapter 16, church historians believe she was the first European convert. So church history uh, has told us she was a very successful businesswoman. It says that she was a seller of purple goods. So she designed fabrics, she designed garments. And when she was converted, immediately Lydia leveraged her resources and she opened her home to start the very first church in Philippi. Right? She showed hospitality to Paul and to Silas and to Luke. She just simply opened her home and said, we can start the church right here. What is that? That's just advancing the mission where God's planted me. I think of Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife uh, team, and we meet them in Acts chapter 18, but we also see them in Romans 16 and 1 Timothy 4 and uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Most likely, this was a very wealthy couple who had a successful business of making tents like Paul. They were tent makers. And Paul They did this with Paul um, at times. But what you find with Priscilla and Aquila was they discipled a young man by the name of Apollos. Apollos had been baptized uh, in the baptism of John the Baptist, and he understood some of the gospel. But they came along, they heard him speak, and they pulled this young man aside, and they said, have you been baptized in the name of Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. And Apollo says, no. And they disciple him. They baptize him in the name of Jesus. And Apollos becomes a great pastor in the city of Corinth. And all Priscilla and Aquila did was disciple him. That's all they did. They just invested in him. And then, of course, I think about Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a doctor. He was a historian. And he wrote that gospel, and he wrote the book of Acts to a young man named Theophilus who was in need of discipleship. And what I love about Luke is he leveraged his education, he leveraged his knowledge, he leveraged his success so that he could travel with Paul on these missionary journeys and record what God was doing. What's the point here? These are everyday disciples who just recognized their kingdom platform and lived out God's unique mission for their lives right where he had them. And what I want for us this morning is for you and I to imagine the possibilities of what this could look like for us. What could it look like for you to truly live out the mission of God right where he's planted you? Mission isn't, something, isn't only something you get on a plane and fly to. It is something you wake up to every day. It is something you wake up to every day. So grab your Bible. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 5. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. He is writing to these believers about what it means to to live on mission. And here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What Paul is doing here is he is encouraging these believers to live on mission in their everyday life. He wants them to see their kingdom platform and imagine the possibilities that are right 
in front of them. And I think we see him really give three instructions that he gives them and that I think will help us see the possibilities of our kingdom platform. Here's the first truth I think we want to take away this morning. It is this, that we need to live with a spiritual awareness of our kingdom platform. Now remember, what is the kingdom platform? It is where God has planted you for maximum kingdom impact. It's where he has put you to bear spiritual fruit and to advance the mission. The first thing we need to do is live with a spiritual awareness of our kingdom platform. Right there at the beginning of verse 5, Paul says we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Paul is instructing these young believers here to live with spiritual awareness and to live with spiritual discernment, to live with an understanding that God had placed them among outsiders, among people who were not believers. And listen, God has done the same with us. He has planted us in a culture, in a community where not everyone knows the Lord. Not everyone in your neighborhood is a believer. Maybe not everyone in your home or at your job or at your school. And what Paul is saying is we got to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward people who are not believers. It begins with an awareness that I am planted among people who do not know the Lord. And that understanding, that awareness, it begins to shape my actions. It shapes my words. It shapes my, my attitudes. It shapes my walk and how I live toward unbelievers so that what we do, what we say, how we behave, church, it must be consistent with the message of Jesus. That's what it means to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. How we live, how we act, the places we go, what we participate in, what we say no to, the attitudes of my heart, the ways that I think, the ways that I communicate, these things have to show the love that I say I've experienced in Christ. Why? Because long before anyone wants to hear you talk about the gospel, they want to see the difference it's made in your life. Long before they want to hear it, long before they'll even be willing to hear it, they want to see it. They want to see it. And Paul is telling the church and he's telling us that it is possible. It is possible to diminish or destroy your testimony in living unwisely. I'm not going to it's a whole different sermon to just start unpacking ways that we live unwisely and live and act and talk and behave and go just like culture does. But what Paul is saying is there is a way that when you live unwisely, it is absolutely possible to diminish or destroy your testimony. He said, you got to walk in wisdom. You need to walk in wisdom toward people who do not belong to Jesus because when we live wisely, when we live different, when what comes out of us sets us apart because of what has happened inside of us, that's when we can make the most of our kingdom platform. Living with a spiritual awareness of our kingdom platform means recognizing that where we are is where God has planted us. It means just recognizing that, right? That's a hard thing to recognize. It's a hard thing to receive sometimes because let's be honest, 
There may be some of you in the room this morning, you don't like where you are. You don't like where you live. You don't like your job. You don't like your neighbors. Right? But, but I got to tell you, I, I sincerely believe in the sovereignty of God. And in believing in the sovereignty of God, that means I believe and accept that right where I am is right where he has purposefully planted me for maximum kingdom impact. Meaning this, you are where you are on purpose. God has chosen you to be in the family that you are in, the job that you're in, the community that you're in, the school that you're in. Now listen, this doesn't mean you can't look for a better job. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you can't want to move to a different neighborhood. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you can't find the better job. It just means don't miss the kingdom opportunity at the job you've got now. It means he's planted you there. It means the people you work with, the pe- students, the people you go to school with, the people you live with, the neighbor that drives you nuts who has no clue what a property line is, even that guy. Those people are not people there to appease you or to annoy you. They have been entrusted to you. That's what it means to live with an awareness. The people who engage you in your life are people who have been entrusted to you. They're a part of your kingdom platform, which means I have to see that where I am is where God has planted me. Even if I'm looking for a new job, God help me if I miss the kingdom opportunity in the one I'm at now. Live within awareness. Here's the second thing I think we've got to do. I think Paul tells us we've got to leverage your kingdom platform with a sense of urgency. Leverage your kingdom platform with a sense of urgency. Look again at verse 5. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. The implication that Paul is making and the language he's using here is the same language they would use to describe someone who sees a great financial deal and makes the most of it. That, that's the implication. Or someone who sees a financial opportunity and buys it up. They leverage the moment. The, NA, uh, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, actually translates this verse, making the most of the opportunity. And Paul's point is this. Time is valuable. <laughs> it is a valuable commodity that we cannot get back. Once it is spent, it is gone, and we should buy it up. We should make the most of it. Paul echoes this teaching. He tells us why when he echoes this teaching in Ephesians 5.15 and says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. What does he mean by that? It means we live in a time and in a culture where the enemy is going to gobble up as much time as he can, and he would love nothing more than to see believers waste all their time on things that don't matter and things that won't last forever. That's what he wants. And if he can get you to waste your time, he gets you to miss the reality that the days are evil and time is short. And Paul says, no, we have to buy back the time. The King James Version says we need to redeem the time. We need to make the most of it, live with a sense of, of urgency. Now, some of you are very young, very, very young, just like me, very, very young. <laughs> that part wasn't a joke. And uh, I'm not anymore. But when, 
when I was, it was very easy to live believing there was always going to be more time to do the thing that I felt like God wanted me to do. And if you're young, you have a young family, even if you're in your 40s, 50s, I want you to know there are people who have journeyed further along than you and they would look back and tell you, the time is short, it is valuable, and once it's spent, you don't get it back. And believers, listen to me, it is time that we begin to leverage our kingdom platform and live with a sense of urgency. Now, doing that, leveraging our platform, living with a sense of urgency means this, we have to make margin in our lives. And we touched on this last week. Last week we talked about living lives that are so maxed out that we miss the mission of God And church, I want to tell you again, we have to create space in our lives so that we can take advantage of every opportunity. One of our ministers on staff said last week, where there is no margin, there is no mission. Where there is no margin, there is no mission. Listen, if you don't have time to slow down and speak to your neighbor, how will they ever hear? How will you ever build a connection with them, build a relationship where they can hear the words of life and you can invite them into relationship with Jesus? If you don't have time to slow down and connect with someone at the ball field and have a meaningful conversation with a coworker, if you don't have time to do that, how do you ever anticipate building a connection where you can speak life into them? Where there is no margin, there is no mission. Here's what that means. It's what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying into into my heart this week. This means that I have to stop saying yes to everything and start saying yes to the right things where I can make a kingdom impact. Are you with me? Who struggles with saying yes to everything because you don't like disappointing people? Yep, correct. We have to stop saying yes to everything so that we can say yes to the right things or we can make a kingdom impact. Here's what else this means for me. This means that my interactions with people have to stop being so transactional so that they can be personal and spiritual. We are a very transactional culture, right? I'll just do this transaction with you and we're going to get finished with one another as quickly as possible and get out of each other's lives. That's how we... That's how our culture is built, very transactional. It means that for me and for you, my inter- I have to have a kingdom vision that says, this person I am engaging, no matter what the circumstance of the engagement might be, from the checkout counter to the coworker to the person at my home, it doesn't matter. It is not transactional. It has every potential to be a kingdom moment, but I have to see it as personal and spiritual. This changes, this changes my vision, right? Here's the other thing it means for me. It means never ignoring a gospel impulse from the Holy Spirit simply because I was in a hurry. I got to tell you, your pastor's been guilty of that. How many of you would say there have been times where I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say something or do something and I didn't because I was in a hurry? It means never ignoring 
are missing a gospel opportunity and ignoring a gospel impulse from the Holy Spirit simply because it was in a hurry. We have to leverage this kingdom platform that we've been given in the time that God has given it to us. Here's the third thing. We've got to look for opportunity to share and show the gospel with your kingdom platform. You have to look for opportunity to share and show the gospel with your kingdom platform. Look at verse 6. Paul says this, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says we've got to be ready to speak up. We've got to be ready to engage. He isn't talking about sit around and waiting for opportunities to share the gospel. He's saying live looking for them. Live anticipating them. And when you encounter them, share the truth of Jesus. I love that Paul says that our speech had to be gracious. It needs to be gracious and seasoned with salt. Man, over and over again, God's word uses salt to paint a picture for the people of God how we ought to live. And here is Paul saying, let your speech be something that gives flavor. Let it be something that preserves life. Let it be life-giving. Speak in such a way that you stand apart. Church, listen, you want to stand out where you live, work, and play? Let your speech be filled with grace. Let it be gracious. Stop participating in being a part of so much negative talk. Now I'm going to pick on all of us for just a minute. When was the last time you spoke well of a politician you did not agree with? (laughs) You hear all the groans in this room right now? Like, we're, we're leaving. We're leaving this church. This is definitely not the church for us. Get him, let's go get the kids. We got to go. Right? <laughs> when was the last time you spoke well of a politician or someone you adamantly disagreed with? When was the last time you spoke well of your boss as everyone else tore them down? When was the last time? You showed grace and spoke life into that parent at the ball field who acted like a maniac. If you're the parent that acts like a maniac, please stop. (laughs) Please, please stop. Go back to the point that it is possible for you to diminish and destroy your testimony. Okay, go back to that. But stop being a part of so much negative talk. Let your words have life in them. Let your words have love in them because that's when they become an agent of change. That's when your speech is seasoned with salt and that's when the opportunity to share the gospel will come because you've shown it in how you speak. This is why Paul said in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but instead build each other up and give grace to those who hear. It's why David said in Psalm 144, Lord set a guard on my mouth. It's why Peter said that we are to keep our tongues from evil and our lips from deceit. Do your words have life in them when you speak are you advancing the mission of God in your kingdom platform Paul modeled these things for us Paul modeled for us what it looked like to live 
with a spiritual awareness of our kingdom platform. He modeled for us what it looked like to leverage that with a sense of urgency. He modeled what it looked like to show and share the gospel with our kingdom platform because if you back up just a few verses, we get some really amazing context here. What I want you to know is Paul is writing this letter of Colossians while he is sitting in prison. As he writes these words, my man is in prison. And there were times he was in prison, forgotten and left for no reason for two and three years, just left there. And from prison, Paul writes this, and I want you to back up a few verses now to verse two, and let's see how Paul models this idea of leveraging the kingdom platform and living with a spiritual awareness. He says this in verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here's Paul understanding his kingdom platform. He understands where he is and where God has planted him. Listen to me, I promise you he wanted to be somewhere else. He wanted to be on the road encouraging the churches. He wanted to be traveling with other disciples and building up believers and building up the church. But he was in prison and he understood that. And it's with that awareness, he, says that he tells the church, I need you to pray two things for me. One, that the gospel door will open. He didn't pray for the prison door to open. He prayed for the gospel door to open. He didn't say, church, pray that the Lord would demolish this place and I could walk out of here. He said, I am praying that gospel doors will open. So that, why? Because he recognized this kingdom platform. He knew God had placed him there right then and wanted some, and so he wanted supernatural doors to open for the gospel. Here's what that means for us. We have to pray steadfastly in our lives for gospel doors to open where you live, where you work, where you play. Praying that God would give you opportunities to show and share. That was the first thing. The second thing Paul prayed is he prayed for gospel clarity as he walked through those doors. Paul said, I need you to pray for me that I would have divine words to speak the gospel. He relied on the Holy Spirit. So many times, I've heard it over, 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 over again, all my years of ministry. Believers saying, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid I'm going to be asked the, wrong, the question that I can't answer. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I don't know enough Bible verses. Paul simply said, I need you to pray. Here's the Apostle Paul who says, church, pray for me that I would be able to make it clear. Even the Apostle Paul knew he needed divine power from the Holy Spirit to speak the gospel clearly. If he needs it, we need it. We need it. Are you praying for gospel doors to open? Are you praying that God would give you divine words to speak? You may be in here even right now and you're thinking, man, I, can I really make that kind of kingdom impact where God has me? Man, I, I see where I am. But I, I just, I don't know that I can make that kind of a difference. I want you to hear the story of uh, someone we all know. Um, before he died in 2018, uh, Billy Graham 
had an estimated lifetime audience between his crusades and his um, TV opportunities and radio. He had an estimated lifetime audience of some 2.5 billion people. 2.5 billion people who heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. If you're in this room and you ever heard Billy Graham present the gospel, would you just, most of our room, most of our room. That's staggering, right? Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. Have you ever asked yourself, I wonder who shared the gospel with Billy Graham? I wonder, wonder what the story is there. I want you to hear this, and I want you to just for a moment be captured by the difference one person can make when they see the possibilities in their kingdom platform because Billy Graham's conversion actually begins with a volunteer Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? One or two people? You want to know why most of you haven't? Because most people haven't. They don't know who that guy is. Edward Kimball taught a Sunday school class of rowdy, hyper high school young men but he believed that God had put him in their life to see each one of those young men come to faith in Jesus. And so he decided he was going to be intentional with every single one of them. And he had one young man who just wasn't getting it, who didn't necessarily like paying attention in Sunday school. He wasn't understanding the gospel. And so Edward Kimball decided, I'm going to be very intentional with this young man. And so he goes to where he works. And this, this young man had a job in a shoe store stocking shelves. That's what he did. And Edward Kimball goes and he has a conversation with this young man in the stock room of a shoe store, led him to Jesus. That young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. D.L. Moody. If you don't know that name, go home and Google the Moody Bible Institute. Dwight L. Moody has preached on multiple continents and thousands and thousands of people have come to faith in Christ because of his ministry. At one of his meetings that Dwight L. Moody was preaching, a young man by the name of Wilbur Chapman came to faith. Wilbur Chapman became an evangelist and he preached to thousands. And at one of his meetings, he was preaching, leveraging his kingdom opportunity. And there was a professional baseball player who had a day off. That baseball player comes to one of Chapman's meetings and he came to faith there. That player's name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday came to faith at one of uh, Wilbur Chapman's meetings and immediately Billy Sunday quits playing baseball becomes a part of Wilbur Chapman's uh, ministry and ultimately branches off begins his own evangelistic crusades and at one of Billy Sunday's crusades a young man named Mordecai Ham came to faith Mordecai Ham begins to share the gospel. God begins to stir in him, living out the mission, living out his kingdom platform. He begins to uh, share the gospel. He becomes an evangelist. He becomes a preacher, and he goes to Charlotte, North Carolina. And in Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a young man who had heard that there was these meetings going on. He was in high school, and he heard this dude, Mordecai Ham, was doing these meetings at night, and he decided, man, there's nothing over there I want to go see. I'm not going. But this young man's friends from high school had decided they were going to go that night and, and call, be a little disruptive in the church service and have a little fun. And so this guy goes, oh, I'll go with him and see what happens. That young man's name was Billy Frank. That's what his family called him. Billy Frank goes with his buddies because he just wants to see what's going to happen. And he hears the gospel from Mordecai Ham. He's intrigued. So he comes back the next night. And when Mordecai Ham presented the gospel and gave an invitation... Billy Franklin Graham gave his heart to Jesus. 
that night. And the evangelist who has preached to more people than any other person in history, including the Apostle Paul, came to faith in that moment. Edward Kimball to D.L. Moody, William, Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, Mordecai Hamm, Billy Graham. Billy Graham's conversion began in the stockroom of a shoe store because one man leveraged a kingdom opportunity. Can you imagine the possibilities in your life if you will leverage kingdom moments? If you will not ignore Holy Spirit stirrings to speak the name of Jesus? If you will make margin in your life to actually build the kind of relationship with an unbeliever where you can share the truth of Jesus and what he has done for you. If you break out of the bubble you have built that only includes people who agree with you spiritually and politically. And you intentionally begin to connect with people who you know are far from God. What would the possibilities be? We're going to discover that this morning. When you came in, you received one of these cards right here. I want you to grab one of these cards. If you did not get one of these cards that says discovering your crowd cloud, would you just slip your hand up? We're going to bring you one right now. Okay? Got several that we need to get those to. Our team is coming down right now. Just keep your hand up, and we're going to put one in your hand. Just keep your hand up till you've got one. Keep your hand up till you've got one there. Keep your hand up. We'll bring you one. Got them coming to you right now. Everybody got one? All right. Crowd Cloud is just a neat way for us to say who are the people God has put on your kingdom platform? Who has he put within reach of your life where you live, work, and play? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes. We're just going to write down some names. This is yours to keep. It's going to go in your Bible. Nobody else will see it. You're not going to pass these in and we just start cold calling these people. <laughs> We're not going to do that. This is for you, right? This is for you. But I want you to take a moment. And, and Paul said we need to pray steadfastly. So we're going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you to really begin to think where I live. Yes, at my home, but not just at my home. In my neighborhood. Where, where I live, who are people that God has put on my kingdom platform? Maybe they're unbelievers, but they're people within your kingdom platform. Then where I work, I'm going to write down about 10 names of people where I work that God has put within reach of my kingdom platform and where I play, where I, where I have my hobbies, when we go to the ball field, when I play golf or go fishing or whatever, all of the things that I enjoy doing or my family enjoys doing, who are those people? And I'm going to give you a few minutes just to begin writing those names down. You can write first names if you want. Again, this, this is yours to keep. And I'm going to ask every single one of us to do it, from students on up. Because we have to begin to understand the magnitude of the kingdom platform God has given us. So I want you to pray. And as I'm praying, I'm just going to invite you, ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you show me? Would you reveal to me the people in my kingdom platform? Father, I pray that over the next few minutes, just as we think through the people that we engage with, that we interact with, that we know, the people that you have put in our lives, no matter where they touch our lives, would you bring their names to mind, Father, so that we can write them down and begin to have a vision for just how great 
our platform is to live on your mission. Holy Spirit, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, if you don't, if you don't have a pen, there should be one in the chair pocket in front of you. Um, or you guys can share. But right now, right where you are, I want you to begin to write those names down. I'm going to give you a couple minutes uh, to do this. Where you live, where you work, where you play. You may not have 10 names. You may have 30 names. Write down people who come to mind. God put within reach of your life. Will Mancini, who has helped us kind of navigate this new mission we uh, believe God has called us to, told us most people don't realize, but on average, every person has about 120 people in their crowd club. You go, oh, there's no way, there's no way. I promise you, if you sat and thought it through, you would find and he, it would the, the kingdom platform the scale of it would surprise you where you live who comes to mind where you live where you work where you play write those names down pray through when you have it at home. When you flip that over on the other side, is our mission statement. We want to connect people to Jesus and is ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. So there's a key question I want you to answer and write it in right here this morning. Which area? Live, work, play. Home and neighborhood right here, live. Or is it my job? Or is it my hobbies? Which of these areas is my greatest kingdom platform? When you look at it, which of those areas has God given you that has the greatest opportunity to bear spiritual fruit? And just write that right there. I say it's all, it's where I live, it's where I work, it's where I play. And then I'm going to challenge you to pick one person from each of those areas and write their name right here where you live in your neighborhood, in your home, someone you work with, and where you play. And you're going to begin to pray for them and pray for an opportunity to intentionally connect them to Jesus. So who is someone in these three areas that you would write here to go, I am praying now over these three people that I would pray, that I'm, I am praying for an opportunity to intentionally connect them to Jesus to have an awareness that they are on my kingdom platform, to leverage the time, make the most of the opportunity, and to show and share the gospel with them. You're just going to pray for them.
Right there, name's right there. Finally, I want you to answer that last question, which is this. What is one practical thing that you can do to point these people to Jesus this week? Just what's one thing that you can do to begin engaging them this week? I hope that this is helpful. The first time I worked through this, it kind of blew my mind. Um, So here's how we're going to wrap up today. I want to first of all tell you that if you're here this morning and you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you do not have a relationship with him and you have no idea what all this kingdom talk is and mission talk is, you're just trying to find some hope and you know something's broken in your life. I want to tell you the reason you came here is to meet Jesus Christ, to meet the king of our kingdom and to be born again and to be made new. And if that's you this morning, you know you need your life to change know you need something different and you're just tired of trying to do this on your own and you are you just know there's something missing and here in a moment we're going to stand in worship and the second that Philip starts singing we're going to have some ministers and some of our team just standing over to the side I just want you to come to them and say I, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life I want to make him the Lord of my life today for the rest of us here's what I'm going to call you to do I believe there is something powerful Pastor Todd said it Wednesday night there's something powerful in the posture and the position that we take when we pray. And so I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to call you, I'm going to challenge you that if you are physically able, I want to invite you to come to this altar with the card that you have names on of people that you are praying that God would give you an opportunity. And we're going to pray for them this morning, right now. I want you to come in just a minute. Step up, step out, come up, put this card on the altar and just plead for the Lord that he would open a gospel door and he would give you gospel words to make it clear. So if you're able to do that, I'm going to invite you. If not, right where you are, I just want you to get alone with the Lord and begin speaking these names to Jesus and pray how Paul prayed. God, open the door and give me the words to say. Father, I pray that just for the next few minutes, this would be time where we have just re-engaged the mission you've called us to live on. Help us, Father. Give us an understanding of the scale of the kingdom platform you've given us to share the gospel. So, Lord, we give these moments to you and we pray in Jesus' name.